0: Well, hey church, a few weeks ago I had the incredible opportunity uh, to travel down to Augusta, Georgia for the Masters um, Golf Tournament. Uh, Perhaps the most um, iconic sporting event in the entire world. If you've ever been there, you know what it is like to walk walk the grounds and to see the... The azaleas and to see the grass and the, the pine trees and the hills and the it's it's, it's quite um, amazing and I know I know what you're wondering um, is Pastor Ethan a member there um, no I'm not um, a member there but my wife is a my wife is a beast and every every year she. Uh, Uh, participates and applies through the lottery program that they have uh, with tickets, and um, we have been fortunate to get uh, tickets to the Masters three separate times in 2012, 2019, and 2023. Now, what's interesting about the Masters Golf Tournament, I mean, one of the most iconic uh, events in the entire world is the player with the most wins there in the history of the Masters is a man by the name of, anybody know? Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas is the Golden Bear. He has won the Masters Golf Tournament six separate times in a span of 23 years. In an interview a few years ago, um, I had um, I, I, I heard a, in a video interview that he did, and he said something, a quote that has stuck with me um, since the day that I heard that interview. He, he was asked, how have you been so successful? How do you have so many wins? How do you do it? And his response was, was fascinating, and I remember what he said. He said, well, he said, I've won a lot of tournaments, but many times it wasn't so much me winning, but the other player losing. He says, what would happen is often uh, uh, the, the other player w- would even be in the lead, and they would be beating me, and they would be leading in the tournament, but on the last day, during the final round, they would begin to break down. And he says, I learned that a lot of the time I didn't have to beat them. I just had to make sure I didn't beat myself. See, when, um, when an individual... Or an entity cannot resolve its internal opposition; it makes itself vulnerable to external opposition. See, uh, life is a struggle. Can I get a witness in the room today? Uh, Maybe your life is easy. Maybe your life is just smooth sailing all the time. But but life is a struggle. It's a challenge. Lots of opposition, lots of conflict. It, it's a battle. Even the, the phrase and the metaphor that the Scripture uses for the, the life that we live is, it's a war. It's a fight. It's a battle. The Apostle Paul, he would say, fight the good fight of faith. He didn't say, take a walk in the park. He, he said, you got to be ready for the battle, for the fight that is um, raging. And in fact, I would argue that the biggest battle of your life is actually in you the biggest battle of your marriage isn't outside your marriage it's actually in your marriage the the biggest battle of your family isn't outside your family it's actually inside your family the biggest battle of the church isn't outside the church it's actually inside the church and the biggest battle even of a country or a nation isn't outside itself, but is actually inside itself can I get a witness in the house? very well aware of that And in fact, in in many ways, I believe one of Satan's schemes, and the scriptures would say you got to know his schemes. I think one of his schemes is to try and defeat us. And the way that he tries to defeat us isn't always directly attacking us, but getting us to attack one another. See, if he can get us to attack one another, if he can figure out a way to get inside, if he can figure out a way to, to mess this up, he doesn't even have to do anything. If he can, if he can, if he can get us off on the inside, it doesn't have to do. He doesn't have to do anything on, on the outside if he can get the the inside um, upset. And the text for today, and where we're going to be in the book of Philippi, th- these believers, these early Christians um, in the city of Philippi, they had a severe level of, uh, of challenges and adversity and opposition they were facing. The story of the Bible isn't a bunch of people who like met God and then their life was easy. No, the story of the Bible is people who are following Jesus, even in spite of the great cost, and in the midst of significant opposition and adversity, and figured out a way how to even persevere through a Challenges and, and hardships. And these believers were, were facing a significant amount of, of challenges. And Paul shares a principle with them. He, he shares a mindset with them that will be required for them to be successful through the opposition and through the hardships and through the challenges. And that would be true of your life and my life today as well. And what we're going, what we're going to see today in today's passage is a countercultural. Mind blowing transformational concept that's absolutely foundational and critical for uh, the church of Jesus Christ. The title for today is this, and you're all taking notes. The title is this The Mind of Christ. The Mind of Christ. You see, the kingdom of God and our mission as a church is to join God. In bringing his kingdom here, advancing his kingdom, multiplying his kingdom here in Wilmington and around the world. So Jesus and his kingdom are central for, for us. And in order for the kingdom of God to come, by the way, the kingdom of God doesn't just come out of thin air. The kingdom of God doesn't make its abode in your home just uh, naturally. It just doesn't happen. It, it, it isn't random. The kingdom actually requires a number of things. And the kingdom of God comes when we participate with God and what he is doing. I I call it, you've heard me say perhaps in the past, the, the four W's of the kingdom first is, and this is still intro, but the first W is um, the the word, which is the gospel. So the kingdom has a word. It has a gospel. It has good news that must be proclaimed. And when the gospel and the good news is proclaimed, then in some ways the kingdom of God begins to come in that space. The second W is the ways, the ways of the kingdom. In order for the kingdom of God to come there, we have to participate in the, the ways of the kingdom or the teachings of the kingdom, the characteristics of the kingdom, the ways of living. You actually have to live according to the ways of Jesus to see the The kingdom of Jesus come into your life and into the world. And then the witness, the witness of the kingdom and the witness is us. We're we're the witness and the way that we live and the way that we operate, and the things that we do, we, we demonstrate and we witness to the world, the kingdom of God and the way that we live. And then the fourth W is the work of the kingdom. That we have to be about the work of the kingdom, which is the function of the kingdom, the activities of, of, of the kingdom, the, the ministries of the kingdom. Things like justice, things like a gospel declaration, things like working miracles, things like prayer, things like making disciples, uh, many things. And today we're going to look at one of these, um, this aspect of the way of the kingdom. Uh, Paul's going to give us one of these characteristics of the way in which we live if we want to see the kingdom of God come in our lives and in our context. And this way is absolutely vital for the kingdom to be manifested in our lives and in um, the world. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse one, if you got a soft copy or you got a hard copy of the Bible, by the way, I'm a Bible guy. For, for a, a, can I get amen? And anybody a Bible? Prayer? I love the Bible. Uh, we're gonna be uh, we're actually walk we're taking a few weeks we're walking through the Book of Philippians. Um, love the Bible, and um, we're gonna be in Philippians chapter two. This is part three of our teaching series of Philippians: Why Jesus is worth it. This is how the Apostle Paul starts, and he's writing to a a group of people that are struggling in adversity, and it's challenging. And the Scriptures would even say they. Were the most impoverished church in the entire New Testament. And he would say this in Philippians 2, verse 1. He would say, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and he just shared with them in the previous passage how he was actually in prison himself. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, which that's actually a Trinitarian encouragement. The Christ and love of the Father and the participation of the Spirit. He says, if there's any affection and sympathy, then he says, Complete my joy, and here's how you do that, by being of the same mind. Somebody say, same. Same. same mind. Be of the same mind. He says, having the same. Somebody say, same. Same, same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Somebody say, one. One, one mind. In order for the church to work, There must be some things about us that are the same. There are some things that must be true about all of us. And though we are not the same, just look at your neighbor real quick and recognize you're not the same. Though we are not all the same, there are some things that must be the same. This is what the scriptures would say in other places, the the word for fellowship, which is the Greek word koinonia. Somebody say koinonia. I learned a big Greek word today, koinonia. It, it, means, it means fellowship, or it actually means commonality. It, it means sharedness, shared life. It, it means oneness. There's a commonality about this. There must be some things that we share in common. In order for this to work, there's got to be some things that are that we, that, are, that we hold in common, that, that are true, that are the same of all of us. I, I like the way that Paul would say it to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He would say, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Somebody say agree. agree. You all agree. And that there be no divisions among you. How many divisions is God okay with? Zero, none. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united, Somebody say united. united. Oh, here's that word, in the same mind and of the same judgment. Yes. Hello. Yes. No, no no no, let me talk about this. When, when, when you get in this is, a, this is a little bit of a tricky subject because it's like, wow, Pastor Ethan, it sounds like you know what you're asking us to be is to all be clones, and we should all just. Think the same and operate the same and function the same and that that doesn't really seem very invigorating and I, I, I thought that was contrary to what the scriptures would encourage us to do so what what does it actually mean to be the same in what way should we be the same because we recognize that we're very different but how can we be the the same it's kind of like that principle um, the difference between division and descent you know the difference between division and dissent. Uh, dissent is the ability to push back. You got somebody in your life that allows you to push back. <laughs> you okay when your spouse pushes back a little bit? You okay when your roommate? You ever have hard conversations with your roommate? They let you to push back a, a, a little bit. What, what about what about your boss? You have a boss that lets you push back? If you've got a boss that lets you push back, we just need to thank God and say Amen in this place. I mean. It's actually a very uncommon. It's actually a very un- uncommon principle. But but a dissent is the ability to to push back. It's the ability to wrestle, wrestle it out, talk it out. Um, it, it's the ability to process areas of disagreement. I, I love what um, Ray Dalio in his book Principles. Um, he started and led the most successful hedge fund in the history of our country called Bridgewater Associates. He has this principle that I use with our staff and our elders that's called idea meritocracy. The short version, and you don't have to read the whole book, you just get it today. The short version is that the best idea wins. Position doesn't win, title doesn't win, positions of power don't win. It's the best idea. What is the best idea? What's going to work the best for the way in which... And he says, in order for the best idea to win, the ideas must be shared the ideas must be communicated. You've got to create a space that's safe, that there's radical um, truthfulness, transparency, and trustworthiness, trust in order for um, ideas to be shared in a context that is safe. See, the the difference um, between dissent and division is actually your heart, your posture, your motive, and your goal. And, And Paul's not saying that you just need to shut up and get in the seat on the bus and let's move forward. No, he's he's saying we've got to get to a point together where we actually agree, where we're of the same mind. we we're, we're, we're not. That's uh, not a fractional organization, a fractional relationship of the church, but that we're actually unified in common vision and purpose and direction, and that we all have to be moving in the same direction. And every healthy relationship involves dissent. And without dissent, the relationship is most likely abusive. But the difference is our posture and our heart and our motive and our our goal, we have to get to a point where there is a singular vision. Your home has to get to a point where there's a singular vision. Your, your, Your business, your organization has to get to a point where there is a singular vision. As Pastor Rob Campbell, my my good friend in town who pastors New Beginning Christian Church, he says division, or he pronounces it division, is when there are two visions. And, And there can't be multiple visions. And so any family, any business, any organization, any country, any church that is successful pursues a singular vision. John would say it this way in John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Somebody say one. One. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, just like the Trinity, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is like, for crying out loud, the reason you guys need to be one is so that the world actually has something to believe in that's actually better than what they've already got. Is there anything in the church that's actually better than what the world has to offer? The way that we demonstrate our own oneness and our unity together, it actually pictures to the world. It tells the world that there actually is something in us. And when the world can't get it straight, we actually have something to offer. Paul would say in Galatians 3, 27 and 28, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Whatever you had before, you now put on something new. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Which is ethnic and racial? There is neither slave nor free, which is economic. And there is no male and female, which is gender or sexism. No male there for you are all one. Somebody say one in Christ. And the reason why multi-ethnic ministry and multicultural ministry is so challenging is because it's an intentional commingling of varying cultures and experiences. This past week I was in Raleigh and uh, we're a part of a, a group, a, a family, a network of churches. It's, it's called the, the Summit Collaborative. And um, Hillary and I and, and Ashley and I, we got to be up there this this past week. And it's always an incredible, incredibly wonderful time um, where uh, we get encouragement, get love, get get strength. Um, Get your toes stepped on a little bit, get, get corrected a little bit. It's good, it's good, by the way, to have some outside accountability and some outside covering and some outside leadership. And the beauty of our um, network and our collaborative it started about 10 years ago. And there's now upwards, I believe, of 65 new churches that have been started in the past 10 years, including the Bridge Church. It's, it's fantastic. It's pretty impressive. And um, I spend time with these pastors and churches and lots of different kinds of churches and different kinds of contexts. And some of them are not multicultural and not multi-ethnic. And I'm like, I wish I had your job. I mean, I wish, you know, I wish I could do it like you. You don't have to cross any of these things. You don't have to have any of these conversations. You just get to kind of run the play. And I'm not saying that it's all easy, but it's, it's a different kind of a context. It, it, it's, a different, it's a different kind of Challenge and battle, but by intentionally being multi ethnic as we are, we're intentionally creating an environment and a space where varying cultures and experiences are not just tolerated, but are actually encouraged. And we're encouraging that and and valuing that. And when we think about our own unity, when we think about our own unity, we're we're not asking for everyone to be exactly the same and I. But we are, there is a level of sameness and unity that's required in order for us to do what we're going to do. You, you may have heard it said the difference between unity and uniformity. Unity is when you're, you're one, uniformity is when everything is the same. It's exact. they're clones. Now, can I be transparent with you? Uh, can I be honest with you? I actually wrestle with this kind of phrase unity and uniformity. Um, and here's, here's the reason why I wrestle with this concept a little bit. Um, I've been a big proponent of this concept in the past, and, and I still am, and I think there's a lot of value that we're not all the same, but there are some things that we actually must be in uniformity about. So, like a basketball team, w- when they step onto the court to play, it doesn't matter where they came from, it doesn't matter where they played in college. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is. They all put on the same uniform. They overlay their individuality with something that is bigger than any individual, and they overlay their individuality with a mutuality. So they're unified and there's a level of sameness and a level of oneness that must be maintained in order if they're going to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And Paul's basically saying, if you guys don't figure this out, you're not going to be able to persevere through the challenges that you're facing. You're actually going to destroy yourself from the inside out. That's what's going to happen. And then and then he so so look back at verse verse two in, in, in what he says. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. And then he gives three descriptors for this: having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. You kind of feel like Paul gets repetitious every now and then. He like kind of kind of reiterates some things and says the same thing over and over again. Um, the point is because repetition is, is critical and important for us to actually understand what he's saying. He uses this word, um, the mind of the of the same mind, and, and then he he re, he gives three kind of descriptors. He says the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Here here's 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 what these words mean. When he says the same love, uh, that's the word for heart. When he says um, of full accord get this that's the word for soul and when he says of one mind that's the word for thinking or mindset kind of reminds me of something when jesus our lord jesus would say love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind see isn't the bible freaking amazing i mean just like it's like wow it's like it's, and Paul's saying your oneness your needs, needs, needs to be whole, needs to be complete, needs, needs to be your heart and the way that you feel and, and the way that your will is. And then your soul and then also your mind. It's, it's a unified in all these different things. And he would say this is having a mindset of unity and Oneness. This word for mind, when, when he says have the same mind, um, it literally means um, to, uh, attitude or, or, or thinking in a particular manner. It, it's trans, it can be translated as a way of thinking or a disposition or a manner of thought or an attitude. One lexicon translate it, translates it refers to the basic orientation, bent and thought patterns of the mind rather than the mind or intellect itself. It includes a person's affections and will as as well as their reasoning. In other words, the the term refers not to just mere intellectual activity, but also to the direction and purpose of the heart. And if you've been around the church for the past few years, I'll talk about mindset because it's such a critical theme in the scriptures. And, and, And what Paul means when he says being of the same mind, he doesn't mean the brain when he says mind. He doesn't mean the tissue inside your head that processes information. When he says mind, he's talking about a mindset. He's talking about your thinking, your perspective. You could say he's talking about your core beliefs about the way that you think about things, what you believe to be true about yourself what you believe to be true about God, what you believe to be true about the world. And whatever your mindset is becomes your core beliefs of what makes you who you are, and that becomes your perspective and your focus and your perception of the entire world. It's how you view yourself. It's how you view the world. It becomes your disposition. Your mindset is your human faculty that informs everything you do. It's your mental state. It all starts with the mind. And your mind isn't just merely ideas or intentions. It's when your ideas and intentions become your core beliefs. So, for instance, in Romans 12, I'll, I'll rifle through a few, a few verses for you. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul would say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He's not talking about your brain there. He's not talking about intellectual activity. He's talking about your perspective, your your beliefs, your outlook, your, your mindset. Colossians 3, 2, Paul would say, set your minds or your mindset on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So, you got to be responsible for where you set your mind, where you form your mind, how you produce your mindset. He would say in Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And then Jesus would say, kind of harsh, kind of bold. Kind of courageous, he would say in Matthew 16, 23, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here's what that means. Your mindset is not static. It's not fixed. It's not unchanging. The mind is actually progressive. It's continual. It's evolving or it's developing, and your mindset is conditioned. And in the same way that your physical body is conditioned by exercise, um, in the same way your mind is conditioned by mental exercise. The mind is what you form beliefs about certain things. So for instance, everybody in the room today has some kind of mindset. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, Like the ocean. Pretty much everybody in the room today, I would say, we would we have a mindset of the ocean. Some of you swim in the ocean. Some of you choose not to swim in the ocean. You seen that video? Y'all seen that video about the shark's house? You know, the ocean is the shark's house. You know, you seen that woman on, in the video, and she, she's like, "I don't go in the shark's house because if I go in the shark's house, they'll eat me." Uh, just like when uh, food comes into my house, I eat it. Uh, it's like, <laughs> that, that's it, she's got a view. It's it's it's, it's a core, It's a mindset. It's the way she thinks about the. The ocean. Everybody has some kind of view about the ocean. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it whatever? It's whatever your mindset is. Um, as, as even like extreme activities. You have a mindset on different extreme activities like scuba diving. I, was, I got my certification back in 2021 when I was on my sabbatical. Um, it was amazing. Got my um, open water and then got my advanced open water. I'm not exactly sure what the advanced means. I think it means I can go like really deep. Um, but <laughs> The, the idea of some of you intentionally submerging yourself about 100 feet under the water and guaranteeing the quality of your life on a little tank on your back. Some of you are like, I would never do that. Never. Some of you are like, that's the best thing I've ever done in my life. This, the, the diff, what's the difference? It's a mindset. It's, it, I'm not saying that one is right. right. Scuba diving is, 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 all, is obviously um, wonderful. No, it's, it's not right or wrong it's not right or wrong, is it? It's your, it's your mindset. It's how you, it's, it's how you think. It's, it's how you think about things. You also have, you have a mindset about fried food. What do you think about fried food? Some, some of you, it's like, thank Jesus, get some fried chicken in the house today. We're heading to K&W after this, and we're going to have some fried... And some of you are like, I, I can't touch it. Some of you are like, I can't touch it. It's of the devil. I mean, it's like Satan created fried food, and I just can't do it, you know? Well, that's 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 just a, a a mindset. How about how about cake? Um, how, how do you feel about cake? What do you believe about cake? I mean, do you think it, some of you think it's like a, a wonderful gift from God? Some of you are like, man, that's like ten pounds on a plate right there is what is what cake is. My my daughter, my youngest daughter Claire, uh, she turns uh, she turns eight years old this week. Uh, yesterday uh, we did a we did a tea party for her party in the back in the backyard, and there was. There was a big, massive cake. Now, I actually, I love cutting the cake. Does anybody love cutting a birthday cake? This was not a sheet cake. This was like a big, you know, the rounds one, you know. And, you, you know, don't, cut, don't slice it like a pie. Cut it across and then do uh, slim. So my job uh, at parties is I, I slice. My responsibility is to cut the cake. Um, but I'm on this stupid program right now called 75 Hard, which does not allow me to eat cake. And so, in Jesus' name, I cursed that cake um, at, the, at, the, at the party. Um, you, have, you have a mindset about driving. I about driving. Some of you love driving. Get behind the wheel, roll down the windows, turn the radio up. It's amazing, it's awesome. If the light is yellow, go faster. Some of you are like, okay, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Kids, keep it down. We need to get there safely. Okay, we're gonna. You no, know, the speed limit. No, words, Speed limit is there for a reason. Uh, God put the institutions of our civil government there for a reason, and the speed limit is something that we should abide by. And we need to. And the. And, and when the light turns yellow, hard on the brakes. Hard on the brakes. We're not. We're not. You know, especially now with the stupid cameras. The stupid cameras. That like, for crying out loud. Anybody like get triggered, have trauma ex- experiences because of the stupid cameras now at the. At the red light. Well, however, you think about driving, that that's that's your mindset. Uh, what what about what about saving, investing? What about debt? You have a mindset about those things, and your mindset has been produced by your experiences and your environment and your training, instruction, all those kinds of things. You got a mindset even about money. You've, you got what? How do you? How do you? What do you? What do you believe? Let's let's get a little more. What do you? What do you believe about men? What do you? Which. What's your belief about men? How do you? <laughs> you feel me? You feel me? Real talk, real talk. What do you believe about women? Well, that belief or your, your perspective, your, your outlook, that, that's actually your, your mindset. Well, what, do you, what do you believe about relationships? Some of you like that they're not worth it. Some of you are like it's absolutely vital to my existence. For some of you, it's your salvation. For some of you, it's your heaven. And for some of you, a relationship is your hell. You know, it's a, it's, it's it's your mindset. What what do you? What about your mindset towards the government? What about your? What about what about what you believe about um, police? What you believe about the criminal justice system? You know. Your, your mindset is, is what you have conditioned yourself to believe about certain things. And here's what we need to recognize. And this is why the Apostle Paul starts with the mind and our mindset. It's because the mindset actually produces every other thing in your life. So, so for, instance, uh, for instance, results are not random. Uh, results are not random. Um, the, the results that you're experiencing relationally aren't random. Results that you're experiencing financially aren't random. The results that you're experiencing physically aren't random. The results that you're experiencing mentally and psychologically aren't, aren't random. And outcomes aren't arbitrary. They're not, so I'll say it this way. Thinking, your mindset, actually leads you to actions, and then those actions are producing results in your life. You ever wonder like, you're like, you like, how did I get here? You're like, well, um, you took certain actions that actually produced the results, and the reason that you took those actions is because you have a mindset that actually produced the actions in the moment that you took and decided. Um, it, it's, it's not like super hard. I mean, it is it's hard, but, it, but it's not like super confusing. It's actually very clear. It, it's very simple. It's very, it's very clear. As well, you could say it this way, your attitude... Your attitude actually produced the decisions that you made, and those decisions actually produced the outcomes in your life. And so I'll say it this way. You become what you believe. You become what you believe. If you believe that you're just um, not valuable, not worthy, um, guess what? That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You become that. Um. Reminds me of a, heard this heard this analogy and heard this story of um, uh, a, a man walked up to a circus one day and he. He, he goes up to the circus, and, you know, there's the big tent and, uh, you know, all the festivities and all the activities at the circus and was excited to go there, and, and, and then outside the tent were, like, all the animals, and they had, like, cages for the lions and the tigers, and then they had the monkeys and they had all the different things, and, and, and right outside the tent was this huge elephant. I mean, it was a part of the show, big, huge, huge elephant, and um, as, as he walked up to the elephant. Um, the elephant had a little tiny rope around its neck with a little stake in the ground. And the man was like, how in the world, this little tiny stake and this rope doesn't have the ability to, to with, con- control and contain this huge, multiple thousand-pound elephant. Why in the world is it actually sitting there? So he, he goes over to the circus director, and he said, "Ask the circus director, how in the world do you get the, the, the elephant to stay right here and to not actually pull the stake out of the ground? He like, said, he's like, oh, oh. It's very easy. See, see, when the elephant was young, when the elephant was just a child, when the elephant wasn't very strong, we put this same stake and this rope around its neck, and after a few weeks of trying to, to, get, to, to, to get free, the elephant had convinced itself that it couldn't get free, and even though it is larger, it still stays in this area because it believes that it can't get free from the rope. See, so that's a mindset. It's a mindset, it's, it's, a, core, it's a core belief and you become what you believe and God has already given you the most powerful tool in the entire world and it's your mind. I'll say it this way again. Change in your life begins with a change in your mind. I was asked by one of our people this morning on the way in here, what's one of the most um, encouraging helpful, one of the most positive things about what you do?" And the response that I gave was, I think one of the things that, I mean, outside of seeing people come to Christ and give their life to Christ, one of the most fulfilling things for me in my role is to see people transform, to see people change, to see people grow. And sometimes it happens over the course of a few days, and sometimes it happens over a few weeks or a few months, and then sometimes it happens over a few years. I've known some people for many years, for for a long time, and to see them grow and to see them mature and to see them change and to be transformed into what God wants them to become is one of the most gratifying things of my life. And the Apostle Paul says, if you get your mindset right, then everything else will take care of itself. Even the word repentance, which is a Christian word, The word repentance, it's it's the combination of two words. It's, It's the combination of two Greek words, metanoeo. Meta was where we get our word metamorphosis from. It's the transformation. Noeo is the mind. It's the transformation of the mind. So when someone says repentance or when you read repentance in the book, it means not just being sorry for what you have done. It means having a transformation of your mind. And the reason why repentance is so tough is because it requires a shift of your mindset. It, 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 the reason why it's so impactful is because it's a shift of your mindset. And so with that being said, he kind of lays the foundation. And then, and then Paul, with the foundation set, he, he goes, this, this is what he says in, in verse 3. He says, therefore, in order, if you're going to make this thing work, if you're going to figure it out, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Somebody say selfish do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility somebody say humility. humility count others uh-oh more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interest sounds like consumerism but also to the interests of others paul goes after selfishness and pride he goes right at the throat he goes right at the throat he goes right at the enemy that will actually dismantle this entire thing he goes right after selfishness and the way that you think about yourself and the way that you view yourself we even did a teaching a short teaching last summer about project self the way that you think about yourself and you don't think about yourself like self-worship or self-loathing self-hatred but having a right relationship with yourself the ability to go low as Hillary, one of our leaders, says. Hillary says there's moments and there's seasons and there's times often in all sorts of life, but especially in ministry where it's a time to go low. It's, a time to, it's, not, a time to, it's not a time to bow up. It's not a time to, to state your title. It's not a time to state everything about you and why you need this and that, but it's a time to go low. And the Apostle Paul says if you want to make this thing work, you've got to figure out how to go low, how to go low. I love what Gordon Fee, the commentator on this passage, he says this, selfish ambition stands at the heart of human fallenness, where self-interest and self-aggrandizement at the expense of others primarily dictate values and behavior. People with such a mindset not only stand over against the apostle, their dear friend, but also over against God, whose son fully displayed God's character when he took On a servant's role i love what he also says humility is a uniquely christian virtue which as with the message of the crucified messiah stands in utter contradiction to the values of the greco-roman world who generally considered humility not a virtue but a shortcoming and so does our culture as well i love what bruce waltke would say the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. You need to recognize today that pride in the Bible is this view that God is not needed. And what the scriptures say about pride is significant. Proverbs 6 would say that pride is an abomination to God. It's one of the things that God hates. Peter would tell us in 1 Peter 5 that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I've heard it said as well that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's actually thinking of yourself less. So for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to get over myself. Tell your neighbor, get over yourself. You've been wanting to say that to your spouse for four years. I'm I'm willing... because of the gospel, because of the health of the church, because of the, the sake of the kingdom, I'm willing to get over myself. I'm willing to put my preferences to the side, my own personal peculiarities, or do you say that word, in order for the sake of others. And if you have the mind of Christ, you're willing to set aside what's personal for the sake of people, because it's not about you. So he says this in this. So he lays out he lays out the case. He says, "Hey, if you want this thing to work, if you want to figure out how to get through the challenges, if you don't want to destroy yourself in the process, you actually want to do this in a healthy way. You can't be prideful. You got to be you got to be humble, and you got to make sure that you consider others more significant than yourselves in every walk of life, at every minute of the day, every day of the week, every month of the year." And, and then he says, "And if you want an example for how to do this, and this is one of the crown jewels of the scripture." He says this in verse five, have this mind, which remember mindset, have this mindset, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, you already possess it, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, a doulos, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The picture, the example, the demonstration, it's, it's, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. Jesus is hes God. He's the son of God. He's God the son. He's fully God. And he chose for the sake of the world. He chose to leave heaven and he came to the earth. As Eugene Peterson said, he entered the neighborhood, took on human form. He, he, though he had rights, though he was quite important. Though he was very significant in his own mind, he chose to let go of his own rights, his own position, his own platform, everything that he deserved, and he chose to let go of it and to empty himself of all of those rights in order to take on a different form of a servant and to go low, to take on human. The word here, form, is mentioned three times in these verses. The form, that he changed his form, that he was willing to take on another form. And then he did it even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yeah. As your pastor, can I ask you a question? Are you willing to die to yourself for the sake of others? That's it. You know, we got to fight this to fight this. You know, leave today. Well, you know, honey, I felt the, you know, the worship just wasn't for me today. You know, I felt like it was a little flat. You know, the preacher, he's a little loud at points. Yeah, I just don't really, you know, it's like, yeah, the kids ministry, you know, the the, the check-in process and the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all of those things are important. But when you enter the room, are you more concerned about Yourself and the well-being of self or the well-being of others? Do you enter the room taking on the form of a servant? Do you enter your marriage relationship, which about half of the church today is, is, is married? For those of you who are married, do you enter the marriage relationship taking on the form of a servant? A- asking, how could, how could I consider my spouse more significant than myself today? Business owner, yes, you have to lead. Business owner, yes, you have to have vision. Business owner, yes, you have to have standards. But when you enter the room, are you concerned about how to serve the people under you or how they must serve you? And Jesus took on the form of a servant. Being fully God, he chose to become fully man, and he became our example. And he took on the loss the servant the bond servant in his life and then here's here's what's amazing about what happened to Jesus in verse 9 this is our final verses he says this therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above somebody say above, above. but i thought he went low I thought he was a servant. I thought he went down. How is he above the name that is above every, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So let me explain to you how this works in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, the way to go up is to go down. The way to go up is to go down. And this is the paradox of serving. When you figure out how to serve others, when you figure out how to add value to the people that are around you, when you become a servant to the people around you, you actually become more valuable in the process to them. You you have greater impact. You have greater influence to the people that are around you. And the way that you become more impactful in the world is to figure out how to make the greatest impact on others. And the way to go up in the kingdom of God is actually to go down. Reminds me of the the parable as we close. Soren Kierkegaard in his parable, the, the king and his maiden, I love this. He says this. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. And yet, this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden who lived in a poor village in his kingdom. How could he declare his love for her? In in an odd sort of way, his kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him, but would she love him? She would, of course, say she loved him, but would she truly? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she had left behind? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know for sure? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners That too would overwhelm her He did not want a cringing, a cringing subject He wanted a lover and equal he, he wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden And to let shared love cross the gulf between them For it is only in love that the unequal can be made equal The king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend to her. Clothed as a beggar, he he approached her cottage with a worn cloak fluttering loose about him. This was not just a disguise. The king took on a totally new identity. He had renounced his throne to declare his love and to win hers church today this is a picture of the gospel that jesus our king because of his love for you chose and decided to leave what was convenient and comfortable for him in order to enter your neighborhood to enter your village to clothe himself and to take on the form of something different for your sake to demonstrate his love for you step one is to receive his love Step one is to receive the love that he has given you. And then step two is to live out that same love and the same posture that he has demonstrated to you. Hey, are you? Do you care about yourself more than other people, just by the way? Do you you actually love people? Do you love people? Do you love others? Do you you care about, Jesus is calling us, if we want this thing to work, if you want your marriage to work, if you want community group to work, if, if you want your business to work, if you want, if we want the church to work, we'll have to, Consider others more significant than ourselves and we'll have to take on humility and we'll have to be willing to die to the things that maybe we deserve we need or feel or want in order for the sake of others and hear me church clearly this is the only way that it works this is the only way that it works will you decide today to die to self and to serve those around you let's pray God today we just ask in this moment as we sit and we, we reflect father we, we first reflect in what christ has done for us being willing to change his form being willing to empty himself of rights and privileges and things he deserved and to let go of some things in order to take hold of us father even in this moment i just feel that in order to take hold of the people around us we must let go of some other things of our own self so father thank you for your love for us help, help us God to demonstrate humility and to consider others more significant than ourselves. Hey, church, with your heads bowed today and just a moment of reflection and a posture of connection with the Father, what is it in your own heart today that the Lord would want to shift and to turn and to change? Uh, what's a decision? We, we, we know that a, a decision is what produces our results and our outcomes Well, what's the mindset that you need to have today, the way that you see yourself, the way that you see others? Do you have the mind of Christ? Today you can make a decision to begin receiving the mind of Christ in your own life. And I promise you that when you walk out the mind of Christ, you will see flourishing in the relationships around you. You'll see prosperity in the relationships around you. You'll see health, you'll see growth, you'll see favor and for those of you in the room that maybe need to actually give your life to God today and receive what Christ has done maybe maybe today you just need to take a step of actually trusting Christ and you could even pray to God today a, a prayer won't save you but faith does you could even say in faith God today I receive you God today I, I trust you God today I give you my life trust what Christ has done for me his life his death his resurrection Today I receive your salvation. So Father, help us, we ask, to pursue this and grant us, Lord, great unity together as a church, same mind, same heart, full accord, same spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.